welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Father, we thank you for your living and abiding word. And we pray, Lord, as we live in this time where we do not yet see Christ, but we believe in him and we love him and we're filled with a joy that's inexpressible towards him. Lord, we live in a time that we have not seen him. We see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. We look forward to that time. We long for that time that we will not just know in part, but we will know fully as we are fully known. Lord, we long for that. And as we open your word, though, Lord, we know that your spirit makes possible for a spiritual seeing, a spiritual sensing, a spiritual tasting of Christ. And we pray for that, Lord. We pray that with unveiled faces we can behold the glory of the Lord and be transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This is from your Spirit. And we pray that you would do that for us this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would be glorified and that your people would receive joy from seeing your glory. Lord, we pray that you would be lifted up. We pray that you would be exalted. We pray that you would be hallowed. Lord, be our joy, be our treasure, be our all in all. Lord, set our hearts right. Set our hearts and our appetites on your Son this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are in 1 Peter. We're going through a long in-depth series called Keep Going. And we're looking at the the biblical art of not giving up. And this morning we're really specifically going to focus on uh, chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. And what we're going to see here is a very important part of Keep Going is actually eating. Your spiritual appetite for God's word and your consumption of his word is what will keep you going. And we only have one command in these two verses, and it's in verse 2. It says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. That's the one command in our text. And what's really cool is that command is not a command for an action. Do you see that? It's not a command for an action. It's a command for an appetite. It's a command to long. You could say, oh, this is a command to read the Bible, and it is that, but it's, it's deeper than that. It's, it's a command for an appetite for God's word. He says, long for the pure spiritual milk. Now, the NASB and the King James, if you have those, it'll say, um, long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. Okay? Now, in the Greek, that's not in there. Um, I think there's a good reason they put it in there, but it's not in there. The, the Greek just says, long for the pure spiritual milk. Now, I do believe that when he's talking about this spiritual milk, he is talking about God's word, and I believe that because of the context. If you look in the context right above at the end of chapter 1, you can see he says, since you've been born again, not of a perishable seed, but an imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Then a little bit later, he talks about that the word of the Lord remains forever. And then he says, this word is the good news preached to you. So the whole context is about the word, right? Context is about the word. So when he starts to talk here about spiritual milk, pure spiritual milk, and that we should desire it, it makes perfect sense that he's still talking about the word. Plus, throughout scripture, we have that um, the word being um, described as a spiritual food. Most famously, Jesus, right? He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And, and that's common in the Psalms and the prophet, prophets, that the word of God is a food for us. So the Bible, guys, is pure spiritual milk because it's God's very words. You hold in your hands, when you hold the Bible, God's very words. We call that divine inspiration, that God inspired the biblical writers to write what they wrote. 
And we get that doctrine from passages like 2 Timothy 3.16, where it says all Scripture is breathed out by God, that somehow as the biblical writers were writing what they wrote, they were not, it wasn't dictation, God would, but God was leading them to write what they wrote. So it wasn't whispering in their ear that it is their very words, but it's also God's very words at the same time. He carried them along to write what they wrote. Um, it might make more sense to call it divine expiration than inspiration, right? Because it says they're breathed out. These are God's very words. And because they're God's very words, they're pure words. Um, the Psalms say, uh, in Psalm 12, 6, says, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace seven times. Or the Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield for those who take refuge in him. So these words are pure words. This is pure milk. And when he talks about craving this as milk, he's not using the word milk in a negative sense, like in Hebrews. In Hebrews, he says, hey, I'd like to tell you more about all this, but you're dull of hearing, and you should be ready for this kind of meat, but you just have to have milk. Peter's not talking about it in that sense. He's not using this in a negative sense at all. What he's really aiming at here is that you would have a craving for this milk, like what? Like a newborn baby, yeah, like an infant, right? Like an infant craves for milk. And a lot of you guys have experience in this. You know what that craving's like. Um, you've experienced that incessant, eager, desperate, even hangry attitude of a small person screaming for food. Many of you guys have suffered greatly at the lungs of these tiny, little, hangry people. A lot of you guys have been held in captivity all night, up all night, by some sort of 10 or 12-pound human that wouldn't let you go. You guys realize that sleep deprivation is an illegal form of torture. And yet this tiny captor doesn't care. They want what they want. And what he's saying is that we should want God's word like that. Okay, maybe a little less hangry, you know, like that. It might be helpful, though, to look at a, an adult that has this desire. And the best place to go for that, and we're going to go real quick, is Psalm 119. Take a look at Psalm 118 because this is a, a person. We don't know who wrote that, but whoever wrote that chapter of the Psalms, that psalm, loved the Word of God. He longed for the Word of God. Eleven times in that, in that psalm, he talks about he loves the Word. Ten times he says he delights in it. But through the whole thing, you can see that he has the longing Peter's talking about here. He craves God's Word, and he uses a bunch of different words for the Word. He calls it statutes or rules or testimonies or law or promise. Use all these different terms for it, but he's getting at the same thing. He loves the Word of God. Take a look at verse 20. He says, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. He loves God's word. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like so much like, I need to have some of God's word right now? That's what he felt. And then, uh, look at verse 62. He says, at midnight I rise praising you because of your righteous rules. He wakes up in the middle of the night and goes, man, I love the Bible. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Wakes him up in the middle of the night. And he's like, God, wow, it's amazing that you would give me this. Or 97, he says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day. And meditation is really important. When he talks about meditation, he's not talking about the Eastern kind where you try and empty your mind. Meditation in, in Scripture is about churning over God's Word and thinking of it in a bunch of different ways to really think through it. Um, meditation is to chew it, to digest it. Okay, so if, if reading or hearing is kind of opening your mouth and taking the chunk of Word into your soul, then meditation is when you, you chew it up and the, your spiritual saliva softens it and you extract the juices. Right? You ever had a piece of the word and you're just kind of churning it over and you're sucking the juices out of that passage and just loving it. That's what meditation is. And, and he says in 99, I have more understanding than all my teachers, a little bit braggy, because your testimonies are my meditation. 
He's like, you know how I got this way is, is through meditation. 103 is great. He goes, how sweet are your words to my taste? Sweeter to honey on my mouth. Isn't that great? Or 111, your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. Or 127, therefore I love your commandments above gold, even above fine gold. See, this guy's longing for the word. I mean, he loves this. He's like, oh, I love it so much, right? 131, he says, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. This guy's out of control. Mouth open, panting, longing for God's word. Or 136, he says, my eyes shed streams of tears because people don't keep your law. He's like, this is so good. Why don't people love this? Why don't they live this? And he cries over it. He's so excited about God's word. Or 147, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes awake before the night watches that I might meditate on your promise. Once again, so he's up in the middle of the night, blown away by God's word. And then he's up early, blown away by God's word. He's digging into it. And what's really great is he turns to it in suffering. Look at verse 28. He says, my soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. What a cool prayer. How many of you guys came here and you came with your soul melting away for sorrow? He says, strengthen me according to your word. Verse 50, this is my comfort and my affliction that your promise gives me life. Or verse 90, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Or 143, trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Like they found me again but your commandments are my delight. And, and he even was happy for his suffering when it brought him back to the word. If you look at verse 67, he says, before I, uh, I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word, right? And the way that suffering had brought him back, or, or 71, it is good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn to, to uh, your statutes. And so we're commanded to have this kind of intense longing for God's word. And you might say like, commanded to have a desire? Can he do that? You know, can he command appetites? Can he command emotions? Because you think, like, I don't have control over my appetites and emotions and my feelings and my, uh, my cravings. How can he, can he, can God rightly command things that I have no power to do? All the time. He does it all the time. You can't keep any of God's commands without his empowerment, actually. This one you know you can't, but all the rest you couldn't either. You need God's empowerment. St. Augustine said, Lord, command what you will and then grant what you command. He's saying, you can command anything of me, but you got to give me the power to do it. And so what do we do when we don't desire the word like that? Because if we're honest, lots of times throughout the week, we know we need the word. We know it would be good for us, but we do not want it. What do we do? First thing I'd say, pray, right? If this is something only God can do, then pray like Augustine did. Say, Lord, you have commanded this. Now, now do what you've commanded, <clears throat> But another thing that's helpful is, is that Peter actually wants to help us. He actually wrote this to help you increase your desire for God's word. Because it's very easy, guys, to preach a sermon that's like hard and convicting on reading the word. Really easy. I could do it on prayer, evangelism, giving, and the word would all be very easy for me to make you feel very convicted. Go something like this. You should read your Bible. And you're like, yeah. I'm like, you don't read your Bible. And you guys are like... And I say, that's bad. And you go like this. And then I said, you should start. Let's pray. Okay, that does not help you. And Peter is a good pastor. He wants to cultivate an actual desire for God's word, an actual appetite for God's word. Because, guys, God is interested in your heart change, not just your behavior change. 
I hope you get that theme throughout Scripture, is that he wants to change our appetites and our attitudes, not just our actions. He wants our whole self. And so how do we develop a want for God's Word, a desire for God's Word? Peter entices us in two ways. He puts out two things that he thinks we're going to want, and he says, if you long for the Word, these are things you'll get from it. Peter tells us to long for the Word because, one, you long to grow, and two, you long for God. First, you long to grow. He says in verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation. If you want to grow, you have to eat. The single biggest factor in a Christian's growth is their appetite and consumption of God's Word. I mean, there's all kinds of other things that are important, but that is key. That's, that's foundational. And that's why the best thing you can do for a person that's struggling and needs to grow is actually show them how to read and enjoy and feed themselves on God's Word because people don't naturally know how to do that. So getting together with them and you know, doing one-on-one Bible study where you read it and you discuss it, and, and after a while they learn to kind of eat God's Word for themselves, and they're very encouraged and they're able to feed themselves. And if you're a person that needs to grow in some area, is struggling in some sin, what you need to find is somebody like that and say, you know, teach me to eat this book. You know, I don't really know how to eat this book. I've been told I should. Um, I, I'm, I've grown some desire from last Sunday. But I want you to actually show me, how do I eat this book? Because, guys, we can't grow if we don't eat. And what does growth look like? We saw last week, it's growth in holiness, which is growth in love for one another, specifically the people in this room. Last week we saw that the word is described at the end of chapter 1 as a seed. And now he's saying the word of God is milk. So the, 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 the word is both seed and milk. It's the seed that conceived us, and it's the milk that grows us. And you might ask, well, what are we growing up into? And he says in verse 2, it's really interesting, he says that we should, we should drink the milk of God's word so that we might grow up into salvation. So you're like, what's that? Grow up into salvation. Well, what he's talking about here, when he's talking about salvation, he's talking about salvation in the future sense. He did this in chapter 1, verse 5, where he talked about there's a salvation that's ready to be revealed for you. You say, well, I'm already saved. You are already saved if you're trusting in Christ. But there's a salvation you have not yet received. There's stuff that you have not gotten. For one, you do not have the physical, visible presence of Christ. Okay? That's a part of your salvation ready to be revealed. That's something you're going to get when he returns. You're going to have the visible, physical presence of Christ to enjoy. You have not yet received the world made new. He's going to make this world new. He's going to renovate this world, remove all sin and death. And you have not received that. You are also going to receive a resurrected, glorified body. You have not yet received that. Some of you guys are like, well, I feel pretty good. Yeah, you're great. But like, there is a resurrected, glorified body. There is a part of that future salvation is a new you that you haven't received yet, that you're not enjoying yet. A you that's going to be revealed when Christ is revealed. A, a, a new you that is perfected like Christ. A new you that doesn't sin and doesn't want to sin. Doesn't that sound awesome? A new you that fully trusts God in everything he says. It's not like that you hear from God and then you're like, isn't that true? You don't do that. You immediately believe God. A new you that's full of joy in Christ. A new you that is completely in love with God and every person around you. And that future you is coming. God's promised it. He's going to make it happen. But we don't just sit around in our current state waiting for that future you. He's saying we can actually grow up into salvation. Okay, That future you is here. It's coming. And you're growing up into it. You can become more and more like the future self that you're going to be. Grow up into it. You can actually grow up into that future self. Guys, wouldn't you like to see just how far you could grow up into that future version of you that God's going to bring when he returns? 
Don't you want to just see how much you could grow up into that? And we don't just sit around going like, oh, that'll be great. Like, we want to grow up into it. We want to see how much of that future us we could grow up into in this life. We want to see, like, just how much could I trust the Lord in this life? What is the maximum amount that I could possibly, in this life, trust God now? What is the, the most that I could possibly love God and love others now? What is the most that I could possibly have of joy in God in this life now? How much could I grow up into that future version of me? Isn't that cool? It's, it's, it's really exciting. Robert Murray McChain said this, Lord, make me as holy as a pardoned sinner can be. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that your prayer? Peter's saying, that you should crave the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up into salvation, that you could grow up into that future you. And I think specifically when he talks about milk here and he talks about consuming it, I think he's specifically talking about the good news of the gospel. Take a look at verse 25. He says, and this word, this word that he talks about is milk later, he says, this word is the good news preached to you. The, the milk of the word that grows you is specifically the good news, the gospel. The good news that God, of what God has done in Christ to rescue you from hell and to renew this entire world. Like, that's the milk. So the gospel is both the seed, when you received it, it got in your heart, and the Holy Spirit grew it into eternal life. You got this new life. It's a seed. But it's also the milk that causes you to grow. And I think this is really important for us because, guys, a lot of times we tend to think that the gospel's for non-Christians, not for Christians. And I've been in churches before where, like, at the end, they always give the gospel in a very predictable way. And when they did, that's when you pack your stuff up, right? You could hear everybody packing up. Well, that's not for me. I already got that, you know? Like, but guys, the gospel's the milk that would, that would sustain you and grow you, right? We don't get saved by the gospel and then grow by some other disciplines or truths that are deeper. We grow by the gospel. The gospel is both the milk and the seed. It's the seed and the milk. It's the one that gives us life and grows our life. And, and, but that doesn't mean, guys, that we only feed off the parts of the Scripture that are obviously gospel. As if, you know, you've got these set verses that you go to and that's it. And you only go to the parts of the Old Testament that are messianic, guys. Because every part of this book is designed to lead you to Jesus. Every single part of this book is designed to lead you to Jesus. And so every part can go there. And Jesus said this to the Pharisees in John 5, 30, uh, 39. He said this, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. But it's these that bear witness of me, yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. He's saying every part of this book is designed to lead you back to Christ. And what Jesus is warning about here is there is a way to study this and know this and even fight for this that does not lead you to Christ. And therefore, it does not lead you to holiness or love. And the Pharisees were a great example of that. Pharisees, all those guys, they could beat you in the Old Testament right now if they were alive. No problem. But they refuse to let it lead them to Jesus. Guys, you can't really know this book without knowing Christ. But you also can't really know Christ without this book. right? You've got to eat this book in a way that, that grows you by leading you to Christ in every passage. Every passage. This week I was listening to um, some audio from the Wednesday night study. So Chad and um, Dan, the one who just had the baby, um, they have a, a Wednesday night study, and it's, it's about Christ in the Old Testament. It's so good. It was this one on circumcision. I heard your comments, and I heard some other comments. I, the discussion was actually in there, which was super cool, so I had to listen to everybody discuss. Yeah, you're being recorded. All our small groups are recorded. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I don't know if they all are. That one is. 
But I was listening to it, it was so good because I was just thinking, man, what a, what a cool thing for the church to have, to learn that instinct of every passage leading them back to Christ. And as you immerse yourself in the story of Christ, which is what this book is about, about the story of Christ's rescue mission for us, you will grow more and more into that future person that you're going to be when he returns, that we can grow more and more into salvation. And as you hear the gospel message and you apply it to different parts of your lives, you'll actually grow in such a way that you become more and more like that future self. Take a look at the first verse here, 1 Peter 2.1. He gives this list of sins, and I mentioned it last week, but he says, So put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Um, these, I mentioned last week, are all failures to love each other. These are all things that would destroy our family. These are all things that destroy this community of the church. And, and Peter says that we should put them away or put them off. And that Greek word there for put away or put off is the same word that's used for taking clothes off. That he's describing these old sinful attitudes as kind of old clothes that no longer fit you. And he's saying we need to put these things off, slander and hypocrisy and envy and all these things. We need to put those off. And it's, and it's a really common New Testament metaphor. As you're going through, it talks about putting on Christ, putting off the old life. And this whole idea of putting off as a, a sense of putting off old clothes is such a common metaphor in the New Testament that some of the later liturgies for baptism, people got baptized nude. You guys know about this? You're like, oh, I want to do it the way they did it before. And it's like, well, maybe you do, maybe you don't. So what they would do, and it makes a lot of sense, although now it's super awkward, is they would take off their old clothes, get baptized nude, and they'd come out and they'd be given new clothes. And it was this beautiful picture, really, of putting off the old life and putting on the new life, that you've been washed by Christ and now you have a new life. And um, by the way, we have baptism in a few weeks, and uh, we're going to try something new. No, I'm just kidding. No, we're not going to do that. But it's really cool, this, this command to put off these old sins. And you can see how it relates to craving. Check this out. So we crave the pure milk of the word, that we may grow up into salvation, and at the same time we're putting off the old life. It's as if, as you consume the milk of God's word, you're growing more and more up to your future self, and the old clothes of your sinful patterns, they don't fit you anymore, and you're removing them. Isn't that awesome? Or, you know, as the gospel grows you more and more from the inside out, they just don't fit anymore. Or if you like reptiles, snakes as they grow, they shed their skins, right? It no longer fits them anymore and they shed it off. What, what he's saying here is that as we feed on God's word, we're able to put these things off. Isn't that amazing? What is the gospel? Tim Keller, I love what he says about the gospel. He says this, the gospel tells us that you are more sinful and flawed in yourselves than you ever dared believe. Bad news? Yet, at the same time in Christ, we are more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. The gospel says two things about you. It says you're more sinful and flawed in yourself than you ever would dare believe. And we can't even look down in the chasm of that and take it all in. It's too much for us to see. And yet, at the same time in Christ, we're more loved and accepted than we'd ever dare hope. And, and what Peter's saying is, as you feed your souls on that milk, you will grow more and more, and those sins will fit you less and less. Isn't that awesome? Don't you want that? Take malice. Take malice. So malice. Malice is the wish of evil on people. The root of it would be unforgiveness. You are not forgiving a person if you're malicious, and you are wanting to punish them. Some of you guys punish in action. Some of you punish in a very passive-aggressive way. Some of you punish with words. Some of you punish with coldness. Coldness that descends like, like, a, like, like an ice age and lasts for days or weeks over your spouse, right? So you're punishing them. But guys, if I'm loved and accepted like that, 
even with my flaws and my sins that remain, how can I not forgive the worst in another person? How can I not extend that forgiveness? It turns out that the more the gospel rocks your heart, the more you're like, ah, this malice is too tight. Like, I can't live in this anymore, right? It doesn't fit me anymore. Or take deceit and hypocrisy. The root of that is, I want you to believe I'm better than I am. Don't you all want everybody to believe you're better than you are? Who wants everybody to believe you're worse than you are? Right? No, we want everybody to believe that we're better than we are. That's why we deceive and why we're hypocritical. Guys, but the cross has already said the worst thing it could possibly say about me, which is that I'm so bad that I got Jesus killed. That I'm so bad, the only way I could not end up in hell forever would be that the Son of God had to die in my place. I'm bad. That's about as bad as you get, right? But the, but the cross also says that not only am I that bad, but God loved me so much that God the Son volunteered to die for me. And so, if I believe that, why do I need to pretend before ordinary people that I'm good, that I'm better than I am? It doesn't fit me anymore. It's too tight, right? Or you take envy. This is a beloved pastime of suburban California. Envy. This is what we do. This is what we do more than soccer or baseball or any of those things. Guys, if you're in Christ and you've been adopted by God and you're an heir of all the riches that Christ earned by his perfect life, you are the luckiest person you know. Seriously. So there was the Mega Millions, right? You guys heard about this? $1.6 billion. No winning ticket. I'm just saying, if you were to really focus on the fact that you are in Christ, adopted by God, heirs of all the riches Christ earned, you would not trade it for $1.6 billion in a ever. Not never. You'd never even dream of it, right? If you're that kind of person, what are you being envious of people for? What's that about? Oh, but I really want what they have. It's like, seriously? Okay. As the gospel grows our hearts, it doesn't fit us anymore. Or slander. What's slander for? Slander is an attempt to cut down the social standing of other people to elevate yourself. That's what slander does. And if you're a gossip, and some of you may be, I don't know, I'm not going to call you out, that might be gossip. But uh, <laughs> that's what gossip is. It's, it's an attempt to cut down. But guys, slander only makes sense if I'm trying to elevate my standing. If I'm trying to elevate my social standing, if I'm accepted in Christ, I have no reason to seek the acceptance of other people through such sordid techniques, right? I don't need that. I'm accepted in Christ. I don't need to slander other people. It's too tight. Guys, as the milk of the gospel grows our hearts in such a way, we put off those old clothes. We put off that serpent skin, right, of these ways of living. They just don't fit you anymore. And that's what you'll find, and that's what you guys have already found. There's so many things that don't fit you anymore, and there's so many more things to outgrow. Guys, the Word of God causes us to outgrow them. They become too small for us. Um, our souls become too big to fit into them, um, like Christ was too big. You know, when Christ lived here, he was too big for all those things, right? We become like Christ. You become like your future self, which is going to be way too big to ever try and put any of those things on again. So why should we crave the pure milk of the Word? We want to crave it because we want to grow like that. Secondly, we should crave the Word of God because we crave the Lord. He does something super interesting here in verse 3. He says that we should crave the pure milk of the word. And then he says, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. He did something weird here. Do you see what he did? You see it? He's, he's saying that if you, you should long for the pure milk of the word. And then in verse 3, he says, you're going to want this if you tasted the Lord is good. What's he saying? He's, he's equating tasting the word with tasting the Lord. He's saying, if you'd like the taste of the Lord, you're really going to love the taste of this. Isn't that cool? If you love the taste of the Lord, you're really going to love the taste of this book, right? And it's like somebody that, you know, you're, you're at a winery or someplace, and you're like, oh, you like that? Well, let me, let me show you something that's like that. 
You know, that's what he's doing. He's saying, he's saying, if you taste the word, you've tasted the Lord. To consume this word is to consume the Lord. The, the word tastes good because it tastes like God. Okay? I, I find this whole idea of, of wine tasting super fascinating. I like these, like, professional guys. And they'll drink it, and they're detecting all these, like, bizarre things that you're like, there is no way. I see you rolling your eyes. There is no way you tasted that right there. Right? But I would love to take a class. I want to take a class. I want to learn this because it seems like this weird dark art. It's really interesting. So they're like, they taste it and they're like, uh, I taste um, hints of oak or leather or vanilla or, ooh, that's smoky. Oh, oh, oh I taste hints of grass. You're like, is that good? You know, it's amazing, right? What he's saying here is that when you're in the word and you're just like, oh, man, that was good. You know what you're tasting? Hints of the Lord, right? You're tasting the Lord. When we're in the Word and we're tasting that good thing, it tastes good because it tastes like the Lord because God is delicious, guys. And so when we're in the Word and we're tasting these things, so here's a second reason to crave the Word. Crave the Word because you crave the Lord. And, and I'm preaching to the choir on this because people love the Word here, okay? And you guys can be quite hangry if you don't get it, you know? And you're like, bring the Word, you know? And like, stop that. We want to just hear the Word. Um, it's so cool. I mean, children's ministry, love in children's ministry. I'm going to do that in a little bit. Um, the oldest class, they're actually studying First Peter, and I go through their notes, and it's so good, and Ellie's all into it. She's loving it. The youth ministry, super cool what Ben and, um, and Miyuki and Vanessa and Darnell are doing because they're studying acts with these kids. And, um, you know, you kind of think like, uh, I think it's a safe place to say this, but you think of youth ministry like, make sure it's super fun, you know, like that kind of thing. And, and sometimes I've been like, you know, is this fun? They're having a good time, though. It's really cool. But what they're doing, they're studying Acts, and it's so cool because I'm looking at the boys. They've got these moleskin journals, and they're taking tons of notes on Acts ahead of time because they don't know if they're going to get called on to teach it. Seriously. It's amazing. I mean, this guy, this, this Ben, he runs a tight ship. Like, these guys are going to learn the Word, and they love it. They really thoroughly enjoy it. That's not something you're going to get at, like, a youth ministry seminar. You know what you need to do? They should all study before they come. And then they won't know who's going to get called on, but one of them's going to have to teach it. Do you think you'd hear that at a youth ministry-like conference? People are like, that's a great idea, you know? But it's so good. They're growing in it. Our worship ministry. I don't think you guys realize this, but Chad, when he leads worship, he actually studies the passage we're going to do. He doesn't pick these songs randomly, or it's like, hey, I heard this one on Air One. It'd be really great. He isn't doing that at all. He's studying the passage, and I know this because he texts me. And guys, Chad studies it in the Greek. I realized this a couple weeks ago when he was texting me. He goes, hey, I noticed that Peter switches from Rama to Logos and back and forth in this passage. What do you think the significance of that is? And I was like, just pick a song, you know? <laughs> like, it was amazing, you know? He's, he's studying it. And that's why, guys, where, like, some of these songs, you're just like, that fits so well. I didn't come up with those. I don't really know Christian music well enough to, to pick any of this. He's studying it in the Greek and then going like, this song would be perfect. How cool is that? That's just amazing. Just totally amazing. Um, or you think about Holly's work, you know, in Cambodia and how she's got this, it's a discipleship home. That's how these women are rescued out of sex trafficking and become the amazing women they are, is they're doing Bible study all day. She just trusts the word to do it. Isn't that awesome? It's amazing. Or you think about Lauren, you know, in an unreached people group, and she is working with a group that's translating the Old Testament. Every part of the scriptures points to Jesus. Guys, we love the word, but we don't love the word just for the word's sake. That can happen. Pharisees did it. 
We love the Word because we love the Lord. We love the Word because this is a book we can open and enjoy the presence of the Lord. Stephen King said about books, he said that they are a kind of portable magic. You book lovers would be like, oh yeah. They're a kind of portable magic, right? Guys, this book gives us the presence of God. This is an amazing thing you have in your hands. You have a portable tabernacle. You have a place where you can go and meet with God. Um, the word is not an end in itself. It's a means. It's a means to enjoying God. Tozer said this, The Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring people to an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God, that they may enter into him, that they may delight in his presence, that they might taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God himself in the core and center of their hearts. That's a good reason to open the Bible. That sounds good to me, right? Guys, can we be more specific? He says that, that, that it's a taste of the Lord. Can we be more specific? We can. Take a look at verse 3. It says, If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, the Lord, right? A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. Who is the Lord in this? Specifically, it's Christ. Christ is the Lord in this. When we taste the word, we're tasting Christ. To consume this book is to consume Christ's presence. And Peter says that you've already tasted that God is good. You've already tasted the goodness of Christ. Um, some of your Bibles say, if you've tasted. It's actually an indicative here. It's not like, well, if you've really tasted. It's not that kind of a thing. It, it's even better translated since. Since you've tasted, it's a statement of fact. And what he's saying is, is you, if you're a Christian this morning, have already tasted that Christ is good. You've tasted that Christ is good in the gospel, right? In Jesus Christ, we have God the Son who became a true human being. John says that Jesus is the Word made flesh to dwell among us. And so because Jesus is the Word made flesh, he was the perfect teacher of the Word. He was the perfect communicator of the Word. People were amazed by his teaching. Remember that? It said that he was amazed by his teaching because he taught as one with authority. He taught as God, right? He is the Word made flesh. But guys, Jesus didn't just come to teach. He came to die. Because it turns out that we didn't just need more information. It wasn't like we were like, you know, you know, we were alienated from God and we're just like, oh, I just didn't know. No, we didn't need more information. We didn't just need more teaching. We didn't need more revelation, guys. We needed salvation because none of us have longed for the word the way this passage says we should. And none of us have obeyed it the way we should. Have you guys ever thought about how insane it is that we don't obey God? We're used to it, or everybody's a sinner, you know, that kind of a thing, right? It's insane when you think about it that we would disobey God, the God, the one who created us. This book is God's very words. These are God's commands. These are the rules from the one who made you can do anything he wants to you. Anything he wants to you. You say, well, that's not right. He can't do that. He's God. It says he sits on the throne, he does whatever he pleases. In our culture, we're very, we tell God what he can do a lot. We have no vote in this. But it's crazy, guys, that we would disobey God, right? That we would have the nerve to stand up to God every day and tell him no. It's crazy. You're used to doing it, so it doesn't seem crazy. But it's crazy, right? We were all born with this irrational, insane, ungrateful attitude towards God called sin. It's irrational because who knows better how life should go than God? 
He's like, hey, I made that, and I made those relationships, and I made work, and I'm like, this is what you should do. And we're like, don't need it, right? And it's insane because, like I said, he's the creator of the universe. He can do anything he wants to us. And, guys, it is so ungrateful. It's unbelievable because every good and perfect thing has come down from God. And, and so here we are in this place of rebellion. We've made him our enemies through this ir- ungrateful, irrational behavior. Now what do we do? We already did it. What do we do? What can we do? We can't do anything. There is nothing we can do. No way we can fix it. You know? Abandon all hope here. There is no way to fix what we've done. You ever had anything in your life like that? You're like, you, you, you sinned in some great way, you did some great harm to some relationship or something, and there's just no way to fix it? There is no way for you to fix what you've done before God. Zero. But God can, and he did. God sent his own son to rescue us. God the son became a man who has truly craved God's word. Didn't he crave God's word? And Jesus was the, he was the real Psalm 119 man, right? It isn't signed. It could be signed by Jesus. That's, that's the way Jesus was. He was a man who always obeyed every command God gave. You know that Jesus said, I always do the things that please the Father? You can't imagine anybody saying something like that. I always do the things that please the Father. And he did. And this wonderful, perfect, loving man gave his life for your irrational, insane, ungrateful rebellion against God. And and that's what we talk about when we talk about the cross. He died on the cross in our place to take our debt. And then he was raised, and he was ascended to his throne, and then now he opens the gates of heaven to everyone who will receive that happy news. How does that taste? It tastes good, doesn't it? It tastes super good. And Peter's saying, if you like the taste of that, You'll love the taste of this. You'll love the taste of this. And <clears throat> I've mentioned that it's tasting Christ. You know, how does this work? Maybe theologically, you want to know how exactly does this work? How is this, this book, this kind of portable tabernacle, that, that I can meet with Christ as, I, as I'm in this word? Well, it works this way. When you came to Christ, the Holy Spirit came to live within you. God himself came to live within you. And because he's within you, you're united to Christ. Holy Spirit being within you, being in heaven, in the presence of Christ where he is physically. And the Holy Spirit is a connection between you and Christ. And so that when you prayerfully read this word, seeking to, to, to be with Christ, the Holy Spirit makes him truly present in the reading. He's truly present. You say, physically? Well, did you see him? No, not physically. Spiritually, though. And spiritually is real, by the way. Spiritual doesn't mean metaphorical. Spiritual means it's been done by the Holy Spirit, okay? So the Holy Spirit, when you read this book prayerfully, seeking to commune with Christ, he becomes present in a special way through the power of the Holy Spirit. It becomes a true act of fellowship. Just like Jesus promised in Revelation 3, he said, he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock it. If anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. It's fellowship. You know, reading the word prayerfully is an act of fellowship with Jesus. He is truly present. And, and taste is a really cool image because taste doesn't just involve the taste, okay? Taste involves consuming, right? You don't taste something and not swallow it. And so this image it says that when we're in the scriptures and we're tasting the Lord, that we're not just savoring him, but we're consuming him. We savor and we consume. We receive the joy of his presence and the strength of him filling us. 
That's what the Word's about. And so as we take in God's Word rightly, we savor Christ. We enjoy Him. We taste Christ. And then as we do that as well, we're also consuming Christ, that His strength fills our lives, that we become more and more empowered by His presence and His power within us. Isn't that awesome? So why should you crave this book? To savor Christ, to taste Christ, and so that Christ's life would grow more and more in you and enlarge your soul such that you shed off that serpent skin of all those old ways of living. This is a truly good thing, guys. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, since you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this pure spiritual milk. I could just imagine you might do it another way, where save us and you leave us to be... bounced around by our own emotions and impressions and subjective things. But you've given us a real objective word. You've given us your truth written, something that we can study and meditate on, something we can do in community as we ask each other questions. What is this? What's going on here? And we can, we can learn about it together. Lord, you've given us an objective word so we can argue about it. What a blessing. That we have a way to objectively go back and forth and come to truth, in argument even. Lord, we pray that you would stir up our appetite for your word, Lord. We pray that as you do that, we know that you're stirring up our desire for you. And Lord, as we take communion, help us to savor and take strength from Christ again in a different way. And as we worship you in song, Lord, we pray that you would make that true expressions of hearts that are overflowing because we've tasted and seen that you are good. Father, we love you, but we do not love you anywhere near the way we could or we will. And we pray that you help us to grow up in our love for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.